Jammy tell them free weed. I times radio. Free weed. Free weed. Then he dank up on the I times radio. Free weed. Free weed. Danny Danko come to show you how it goes. You're now tuned in to Free Weed from Danny Danko on High Times Radio, presented by High Times Magazine. All right, welcome to episode number 92 of High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Danko. As always, thank you to Jacques and Winstrong for the wonderful theme music. And uh, yeah, Mike, how do you feel about episode 92? Well, so far, so good. <laughs> um, we'll see how it plays out you know well we i feel have, good though i feel yeah. like we're gonna do a good show yeah and these weekly shows are exciting they are yeah yeah it's um we're kind of getting into a rhythm just yeah. a little programming note you know you, you might have noticed that some of the the recordings some of the sound quality hasn't been terrific since we've come back in the first couple of shows the reason is we're kind of bouncing around this new office trying to find like the ideal recording location and uh we're we're zeroing in on it i think we're getting there yeah yeah absolutely but uh i I hope that the consistency will uh result in uh consistent listenership as well seems like it ought to but we have a really cool show today for people who maybe don't know we've been basically flying around the country just doing cannabis cups uh four in the last two months yeah and uh, including back-to-back weekends that we just came back from in uh, norcal and then in michigan yeah, Sonoma County Fairgrounds and Auto City Speedway in Clio, Michigan. And uh, yeah, both cups, uh, great success and lots of people, lots of uh, amazing music, amazing uh, booths and expo and uh, really good uh, recordings of live podcasts as well. So well, that's what I was going to say. While it's a little taxing on us, the good news is we've basically been doing three to four free weed uh, podcasts at each of these cups, right? That's right. And We're so doing- we've got one today. Yeah, we're doing live shows, and we've got one today with uh, Cadillac Mike, or Mike from Exotic Genetics. Uh, He's been a guest in the past, and, uh, you know, we basically got to sit down with him and talk about, uh, you know, his career, uh, how he started Exotic, and and, uh, some some grow information as well. So, excited about that. Yeah, that's basically going to be both the interview and the bulk of our cultivation uh, section. We got about a a 35-minute segment with mike so that's that's exciting we're going to get to that in a little bit um but before we do that uh see we've sort of been um sabotaging ourselves by trying to become a uh, call-in sports talk radio show despite our our cultivation bona fides and uh we got a couple of messages on our free weed phone line that's right and it's in reference to our sports on drugs segment sports on drugs uh which I think, you know, there's a niche there that needs to be filled, which is, uh, <laughs> is talk sports talk radio for stoners. It feels a little to me like we're, we're forcing it, but, um, <laughs> but we're going to keep doing it because I think it's funny. So let's, uh, why don't we listen to these uh, messages that we got? Yeah, let's hear the messages. Okay, here's the, uh, the first one. Hey, I just wanted to say I just listened to the podcast, and Jordan was a very formidable player, but I think that the most dominating the player that you player that you that you would not want to be on the same court with would have well, for me would have to be Shaquille O'Neal. I think Jordan, he's great and all, but talking about fear factor and going up against somebody you wouldn't want to go up against, I think Shaq is at the top of that list. 
Okay, a reasonable sports take. Yeah, I mean, definitely looking across the court and seeing Shaq is fairly daunting. Yeah, he was a, he was a large gentleman for sure. I mean, I look, I, everyone has an opinion on this, and I'm not saying that mine are right, even though they are. But uh, Shaq, you know, okay, yeah, you could say that, that Jordan had Pippen for his career. But Shaq, you know, you think about it. With the Orlando Magic, he had Penny Hardaway. Mm-hmm. You know, with the Lakers, he had Kobe. And then with the Heat, he had uh, prime Dwayne Wade. So, you know, he he was certainly dominant for a, like a six or seven year stretch. He was one of the most imposing players on the court. But, you know, he was also always paired with a superstar. And there was a strategy to beat him. I mean, so much so that it was called... Uh, the Hack-A-Shack. The, the Hack-A-Shack strategy, which was a strategy to actually put him to the line and, you know... Because uh, he was not hitting those free throws. I don't want to say he's cross-eyed, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but once he gets outside of about 12 feet or so, you know, those shots just were, were bricks. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a big guy. He's very in- intimidating. Um, there's a case to be made for Dennis Rodman, to be honest. Um, I know he's been in the news lately. And there's a he- case to be made that he's saving the world, right? He's negotiating <laughs> a, a peace with North Korea at this point. There's also a case to be made that his uh, kind of outlying, you know, Uh, accomplishments in the rebounding world uh, both offensively and defensively really led to a lot of uh, games won that should not necessarily have been won and yes he played on you know teams with Jordan and Pippen uh, but he had two championships outside of that so um, yeah this one I'm not buying so much I mean (laughs) you know the Bulls had three rings without him they did get three with him but uh, I feel like they would have gotten those anyway but but again, great rebounder, great defensive player, huge pain in the ass, really. He was a, a sort of an instigator on the court. Instigator, but, um, you know, we talked about defensive rebounds, but the offensive rebounds lead to more points, you know. And when you got a guy like Kerr, you know, out there open for threes and things, you know, that's just it, – it's a huge shift in, uh, in the game's momentum when a guy like the Worm – is <laughs> and only at six seven too, getting all those rebounds, um, not shooting, but getting those rebounds, getting them out to shooters and and having them score, I think had a great impact. But you know everybody's got their opinions. So solid player for sure, but I, I don't know if he's quite in that um, that level that we're we're talking about here. But, you know. <laughs> and we got another call too, right? Yeah, we did. We got one more. So let's uh, let's listen to that. Hey guys, it's your boy Chad Westport checking in from the jungles of Costa Rica. I was listening to your sports on drug segment, and man, do I have something for you. It's got the excitement of Michelin's discovery of THC, Cervantes losing to bad dread wig and videos, Harrer's propensity for terror, and even the coining of the term Terps. Three words for you guys. Left-handed underwater basket weaving. Yes. Professional free divers hold their breath underwater to create the most fashionable and functional pieces possible without passing out. It's like doing needlepoint after a three-gram dab to the dome. Check it out, guys. Next-level business right here. I predict it's in the Olympics by 2026. Y'all best tell somebody. Keep up the good work, Danny and Mike. This is Chad Westport. I'm out. Uh, what? <laughs> uh, underwater basket weaver? left-handed underwater basket weaving no less i want to smoke what chad has been smoking 
down there in Costa Rica, or do I? No, you do. Chad is living the best life. He's in Costa Rica. You could even hear the the birds yeah. chirping behind him, and he's. I don't know why he is uh, telling us this, but I like the idea. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Basket weaving in paradise underwater with your left hand. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. We we weren't really asking what kind of sport you think we are. Well, anyway, thank you, Chad. That was a. <laughs> It was an interesting uh, voicemail. Hit us up. Hey, if you guys want to, you know, leave a message for us, uh, it could be about sports, but it could also be about pot. That is basically what this show should be about. So <laughs> you could reach us um, 212-387-0500 and then extension 706. So uh, do that. Leave us a message and uh, let us know your thoughts on any subject. We'll take anything you want to talk about <laughs> and we will we'll delve into it. So do that. Yeah. Please leave us a message and we'll play it on a future show. Is it, um, is it too much to do one more little sports on drugs moment here or are we done with this? What do you got? Sports on drugs. Well, I just want to say, you know, you hear a lot that the whole Warriors thing, they just won the finals and that it's unfair in some way <laughs> and that, they, you know, they, they, they're ruining the league. And I understand the idea that when you start out a season – you feel like, well, they're definitely going to win at the end, so what's even the point for us to play? But the, the way that they did it, and I, I understand the, the soreness, the saltiness of it all, but the way they did it was they drafted three players, right? They drafted Curry, they drafted uh, Thompson, and then they drafted Green. They developed them, and they did really well. They won a championship. They got a 73-win season. Then they lost the championship, but rather than rest on their laurels and just say, hey, we're a really good team, we might have a shot next year, they went out when they had the opportunity to sign the one of the best scorers in the game in Kevin Durant. And my point here is that isn't that what every fan and and team and uh, fan base would want for their yeah. organization to, yeah. you know, not rest on their laurels to build the the best possible team that has a shot to win every single year? Of course. Of course. And I mean that's that's called a dynasty and that's what you know, I mean, the Celtics of the, you know, 60s and, you know, the the 11 wins that they had and, you know, in just a short number of years, then again, in you know, the 80s with the Celtics and the Lakers. And I mean, that's what that's what you have. You have a great team that's that's getting better and, and bringing championships to their fans. I think it's amazing. I don't think I, I can't. The only person who might think that's bad for for the game is like a hater. You know what I mean? Like someone who just, you know. Uh, is unhappy with Curry and and with that, but it's team basketball and it's amazing. And I think they do a great job at it. And, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion that they're going to win a championship. There's a long, you know, a long way to go and a lot of things they got to do to get there. They almost lost to the Rockets. Exactly. So, you know, I I think it's great for the game. I think, (laughs) you know, Oh, we're going to get some hate (laughs) on that one, but all right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great for the game and I think, you know, LeBron needs a challenge like that too. You know, like that's what you need. You need you need opposing forces that are are formidable to go up against each other. So, kudos to them. Kudos to the Washington Capitals and my boy Alexander Ovechkin, uh, Sasha. Congrats, Nazdarovia, uh, Sasha. Очень хорошо. And yeah, uh, we got a new issue too, right? Yeah, we should we should leave the whole sports on drugs thing there. <laughs> but we appreciate you uh, bearing with us. Sports on drugs. We're, we're going to get into the new issue. Just one more programming note before we do. Uh, I guess everyone out there listening knows everything they need to know about growing pot and has no need to send questions to Dan and I to have answered on the show, right? <laughs> I mean, because we're not getting them. 
and I don't understand it. You know, we will answer your grow questions, so send them to us, freeweed at hightimes.com. Also get uh, us on Twitter, at Danny Danko, hashtag freeweedpodcast. Uh, get us your questions, and if you don't, we're just going to keep talking about sports. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. All right, so uh, what are we up to here? The August uh, 2018 issue? Yeah, that's right, which is out in June in uh, the weird way that magazines work. Uh, but yeah, it's out on newsstands right now um, with a fetching uh, fetching buds on the cover, Watermelon Lime from Nameless Genetics, uh, a really amazing uh, breeding outfit. Sounds like a nice summery strain, right? Watermelon Absolutely. Lime. Yeah, sounds delicious and is delicious. Uh, and within that issue are some amazing articles as well. Uh, one on an, a mom and pop grow in Oregon called Puffin Farm, uh, and about sort of the organic terroir of you know outdoor and greenhouse grown cannabis uh, in in organic soil. Could you could you explain the terroir thing? Um, I'm not sure that uh, most people understand what that means in relation to growing pot. Right. Well, it's a term that comes from from viticulture, wine growing, uh, uh, you know, wine grape growing, and basically it's like the essence of the the land. You know, the 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 nutrients that are in the soil, the 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 you know what's in the wind, and the it's basically the the unique flavors that are imparted. And, and, you know, characteristics that are imparted by uh, a particular strain's uh, surroundings, you know, about the environment that they're in, whether it be the soil or the air, um, the so, so humidity level, like the temperature. So or, or champagne, that kind of thing? Well, those are more, you know, like, uh, you know, designations for certain regions. But yes, each, you know, Bordeaux has a terroir unique to that region. And so does cannabis when it's grown, you know, outdoors and in full sun, uh, it takes on, you know, it, it only takes a few generations for cannabis to acclimate to, to wherever you take it. So, uh, you know, if you take it to a higher altitude, if you take it to uh, a more humid location, it eventually adapts to that. But it, but what those environmental factors, uh, you know, bring to the strain itself is the terroir so it's basically the natural sort of flavor of of the 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 territory the the earth of of where it's at um so in this place is a beautiful uh beautiful grow you know in a river uh uh in a valley where a river flows and you know great earthy organic soil that they they've amended and keep adding organic material to um you know a, a living soil which i'm a big proponent of and uh, yeah, so that's a great article that really describes their process from from start to finish. Um, there's an article on THC testing by our, our pal Stinkbud. Yeah, this one this one is really interesting. Uh, basically, he goes through and sends samples of a strain to to several different labs and gets different THC percentage results back from each one of them. None of them match. So <laughs> it sort of raises the question: What are we really? Um, getting from these lab results because so much depends on that he makes the point in the article that you know a 25 to 30 percent thc strain is gonna sell really well and the grower is going to be able to get that into dispensaries but you know something that comes up uh, you know the low 20s or you know teens no one's gonna want it and if the lab isn't accurate in its testing it, it raises a lot of interesting questions yeah absolutely and it's something we've always wanted to do is sort of get some some you know blind samples out to to the um to different labs and see how they come back and so uh stinkbud actually went out and did it um so there's some very interesting results there that are very enlightening as to you know lab testing results um there's another article there by mike 
himself on the Cannabis Cup in Southern California that we did in San Bernardino just a month and a half or so back ago. Oh, gosh. That was it, huh? <laughs> it feels, <laughs> like, kind of feels like six together. months ago. But, uh, but yeah, there's that article there with, with the highlights of that cup, as well as um, our colleague Nico Escondido uh, in the cultivation department did an article about uh, breeding cannabis genetics, creating your own strains and, and how that's done properly rather than just crossing a male and a female, but actually you know, putting some thought into the process and understanding how genetics works and, and how traits are, are inherited and passed down and, and how all of that works and what's desirable and what isn't and how to keep that and make your own. So that's very interesting as well. And our old pal uh, Kenneth Morrow from Tricom Technologies um, wrote an article called The Great Terpene Swindle, which is about you know his um, point of view on, on terpenes and hydrosols and steam distillation, water distillation, and all the different ways that people are making distillates and, and creating terpenes that are isolated and, and, uh, and then incorporating them back into different cannabis products. And I'm sure that's bound to cause some controversy because it's really, <laughs> well, it's cutting edge science, you know. Oh, I mean, it's a very heady article. Yeah. yeah. And he really delves into this. So, I mean, if you have sort of a, you know, a penchant for science and, you know, the science of extraction and all of that, this is a great article for you to read. Even if you disagree with his take, it's a fascinating uh, exploration of what's happening with the um, extraction market right now with terpenes and hydrosols. So. Yeah, and if all that grow info and, and, and concentrate info and all that breeding info isn't enough, we also have a great interview with Peter Fonda. Yeah, yeah, that was really a trip, man. I got to interview him, and um, it, was, <laughs> it was a trip, man. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he's that, a, that's one of his lines from Easy Rider? Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> or even the movie The Trip, right? Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's a really, really interesting guy, a great proponent and advocate for cannabis uh, for medical cannabis and just a environmentally conscious gentleman he's a really interesting so check out that interview yeah absolutely it's a a well-rounded august issue there for the uh, print reading public Yes, all seven of you. All right, so yeah, that's the August issue. It's on newsstands right now, so you want to go out and get your copy. You could also subscribe. If you go to, um, to hightimes.com, there's a way to subscribe where you get, I think, um, 13 issues and a free T-shirt. So, you know, check that out. Yeah, support print. You know, you get a centerfold. You can put it up on the wall of your grow room. Yes, please, please support print um, and keep Danny and I employed. Okay, so... Uh, we should take a little break, but when we come back, what are we going to have? We have Mike from Exotic Genetics talking about uh, breeding, growing, uh, harvesting, storage, and more. All right, you guys, now is the time where we shout out our sponsor, BC Northern Lights. You can become your own producer, self-sufficiently creating your own cannabis with a grow box from BC Northern Lights. Um, this is a company that's been around. They understand uh, what it takes to grow cannabis in a grow box. Everything is touch screen. Everything is uh, very simple, very easy to run. And they have great tech support and support in general. You can call them uh, you know, on their 800 number and get help from them anytime. There's all different kinds of grow boxes to choose from, so check them out, please, at bcnorthernlights.com, and you can call them seven days a week at 
236-1266. There are special deals if you mention uh, free weed from Danny Danko. In fact, there's a promo code Danko-CAN. Danko-CAN will get you free nutrients for six months uh, with the purchase of a grow box. Uh, so they have everything you need really to get started. And, uh, you know, the return on investment on these machines is pretty quick uh, if you know what you're doing. So you can build your own, you know, closet space. You can, you know, try to put th- something together like that. Um, or you can just purchase one of these. Uh, it's a little more expensive, but well worth it. And uh, it's delivered to you within two weeks. You are growing. Check them out, bcnorthernlights.com. All right. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming out uh, to the 2018 NorCal High Times Cannabis Cup. We're really excited to be here. Uh, Some of you may have heard uh, Free Weed is back, the Free Weed podcast. We're going to be doing uh, shows weekly, uh, Thursdays, so tune in for that. And this is a live Free Weed, so uh, this will also be part part of the podcast. We don't have a ton of time for this first panel, so we want to get right into it. Um, we're going to go through some gross stuff. So to get things started, let me introduce to you High Times Senior Cultivation Editor, Danny Danko. Hello. Hello and welcome to the NorCal Cannabis Cup. We're very excited to be back here. And of course, this is really the, the birthplace of American cannabis culture here in Northern California. Many generations have been growing uh, here for many, many years, uh, long before there was medical laws or, or rec laws or pretty much any kind of favorable laws. So it's really an honor to be here uh, where the, you know, this whole culture really got growing, <laughs> so to speak. So to speak. Uh, and so I want to introduce our guest. We don't have a lot of time, so I want to get right into this. Uh, we have Mike from Exotic Genetics. What's up, guys? <laughs> yes. Uh, multiple Cannabis Cup winner. Uh, I'm sure you guys know some of the strains like Cookies and Cream. Uh, but uh, Mike is also not just a great breeder, but an amazing grower. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Why don't you just introduce yourself real quick and tell people a little bit about uh, what you do. My name is Mike, um, founder of Exotic Genetics. Uh, we, we create uh, different seeds and strains for, uh, for your liking and, you know, depending on what you want to grow. Um, Indica, Sativa hybrids, we have everything, you know, across the board and in between. So, uh, you know, a lot of these clone guys out there, I mean, that's how I got to start is we were trying to get the, uh, you know, people were coming in with bug problems and, and, and uh, pest problems. And, you know, the whole seed thing started was we were trying to get people away from all that. So, um, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, here we are trying to give you guys the best genetics we can. So. And what are some of the strains that you've actually won uh, awards with? Um, the first one, well, not the first one, but... Um, you know, I started with a Supernatural. Supernatural, we, we heard this thing, this High Times Cannabis Cup. We were like, oh, man, you know, we want to go be part of this competition. It might have been 2010 or 11. I can't recall. But we, we put in this sativa we had called Supernatural. And, uh, man, we went second place. So it really juiced us up. And uh, the next year we came back with the Afterlife OG. We took a third place. Then I grinded all year long to try to, oh, man, I really want the, cl- the cup. You know, we got the seconds and the third. But let me try to get this cup. And the first thing we ever took a cup with was uh, was cookies and cream. And uh, one thing led to another, and cookies and cream um, won many hash awards, uh, flower award, then come back, win, wins more flowers. And, um, you know, 
quite a few strains we've actually won awards with. You know, Cookies and Cream, Kimbo Kush, uh, Black Mamba. Uh, we have, um, let me see, Big Smooth. Big Smooth was a good one. Um, but, yeah, that's to name a couple. So Nice. Uh, let's talk about, like, for other people getting started, uh, the first thing they got to think about really is the location of their grow, um, right. what they're going to do. Now, you mentioned tents. Um, there's grow boxes. People can, you know, convert an extra bedroom into a grow room and that sort of thing. What, what do you think are, are some of the things people need to think about when they're scouting their grow location? Um, I'd say first thing, you know, you want to make sure you got it in a safe location, you know, first and foremost. We, a lot of people are scared of the law, so you got to make sure that you know you're in a safe location that the thieves aren't going to come, you know, try to jack you every left and right every time you turn around the corner. So that's probably rule number one: is make it a safe location, and then really just what suits you. Do you got an extra bedroom? Are you in the garage? Do you have a little closet? So it really just depends on what you have. I personally started in a little laundry closet. I grew my first plant, and uh, under a little CFL fluorescent light. And, you know, I was so proud of this thing. It was actually, I don't want to mention anything. Actually, screw it. It was the perps from, uh, from BC Bud Depot, man. And uh, let me tell you right now, it had nothing to do with purple. Zero. And it was the greenest, most banana-smelling thing. I mean, it was cool. the banana was cool, but, man, this thing flowered for 12 weeks. It, it was huge and obnoxious, and it just, very little frost. <laughs> and it smelled like bananas when it was curing out. But again, that was my first experience, and it went from that closet into the little tent I had because I had a room. Um, but I, I wasn't hip on, you know, grow lights or, you know, ventilation systems. I, I didn't know much of that, so I was just going on these tent diagrams out there and uh, set up a little tent diagram, and it ended up working. And, and at that point is when I started to educate myself a little bit more on environments, and then, boom, here comes the grow room. <laughs> So let's talk about uh, environmental controls a little bit. How important is it to have the right temperature and, and humidity in a grow space? Without those, those, uh, you know, those nice climates, you know, it, it's a turning point. And if you have good pot or bad pot, and I know it sounds pretty straightforward, but it really is. If you, it's really, uh, it's really detrimental when you're rocking 90 degrees in your, in your grow room. I mean, it's, it's terrible. Uh, stuff uh, plants fry they aren't they don't take up nutrients as, as efficiently as other temperatures and the same thing goes on if you're too cool plants stay wet too long they're not uptaking properly um, so you know temperature is a huge thing me personally I'm in the depending on the growth cycle and veg 72 to 82 um, and humidity like Danny was saying is, is another huge thing um, there is a time and place for everything and a lot of people think like, oh, you know, the higher the humidity you have, the more prone you are to PM. And that's absolutely true. Um, but there are regiments you do. Um, for example, when, I, when I, I'm in veg, I like to be 60 degree or 60% humidity or so. If I'm low 60s, high 50s, that's cool with me. Um, a lot of people like to go much higher, um, which, hey, that, that might be their jungle style of growing, which is totally cool because, the, you know, if you have the right conditions – higher temp, higher humidity, you can get some actually pretty nice results. But me personally, I'm more of the, you know, high 50s, low 60s humidity, keep it between 75, 80 in flower. When you're in veg, I keep it around, like I was saying, 58 or high 50s, low 60s. But as you progress in flower, uh, a misconception out there is that, um, you know, I don't want high humidity in flower late, well, early the point is you don't want humidity late in flower because that's when you have your big flowers and your buds and you can get uh, botrytis, which is bud rot, uh, which is very unfriendly to us out there in the grow world. But 
for the first few weeks of flower, it actually is much, so, so beneficial to have your humidity up because it allows the plant to transpire more and just all the nutrients to be absorbed and the plant to actually grow to its optimal performing levels. Um, but again, as you're getting buds, as the flower cycle uh, deepens, you slowly taper off that humidity to the you know, high 40s, low 50s. So if you can do that, you don't really have to worry much about any problems, PM, uh, well, PM or bud rot. Bud rot's a huge thing. PM can come in, you know, if you bring it in and your plants aren't exactly 100% healthy, some plants are more um, prone to that than others. So. Right, so you're going to want to look for uh, genetics that's more resistant to PM. Right. Um, and you mentioned people getting clones uh, that already have sort of pathogens or pests sure. built into them, whether it be systemic uh, or not. Um, let's talk about popping seeds. I mean, you must pop a lot of seeds as a, as a breeder. I do, yeah. Uh, what is your recommendation? There's 10 different ways out there to do it, um, and, and none of them are wrong. It's just depending on what you're working with at that time. Um, generally, in a perfect world, I like to toss them in just a, a water bottle or a cup of water for 12 hours or so, just enough for them to dunk down. Um, like I'll put them in a water bottle for this one, for example. Put some seeds in there, I'll shake it up, go set it in a, a dark, cool area, cool meaning like low 70s, um, for about you know 12 hours, 24. If I come back a day later, that's fine. And then when I come back, usually what will happen is, is some of those seeds have fallen to the bottom and some of them haven't. I give it another quick shake come back another 24. Now when I come back at the bottom of that container, I got seeds all along the bottom. They all sprout, they got their little tails, and now you can take those directly to whatever your media of choice is, whether it's dirt, um, hydro, uh, which is, I mean, rock wool, um, cocoa, whatever you're growing in, you can go plant it directly into there. And I'm us I usually go about a quarter inch down, cover it up, make sure it's nice and moist, and then uh, after a few more days, you'll start to get the, uh, the sprouts to come up. And sometimes you gotta help them, sometimes you don't. It just depends on, uh, you know, really the strain and really it's how deep you plant them. I mean, if you go too deep, sometimes it's a little tough for them to come up, but. Um, and hey, that doesn't mean paper towel method's great too. If I, if I have, you know, if I'm popping a, a whole bunch of one strain, if I'm popping a few hundred of one strain, I'll just throw them in a paper towel, get them nice and wet, let them sit, give them about 48 hours, and same thing happens. You got the little sprouts. Sometimes you leave them in longer, you got the little crazy looking like sprouts you're going to put on your sandwich or something. But uh, those are cool too. I mean, sometimes you can plant those whole little plants and they, you know, grow real nice. So, Right. So um, also as a breeder, I'm sure you're growing out a lot of male plants and a lot of female plants. Um, let's talk about how you determine the sex of the plant uh, sure. as it's growing. So usually... Uh, when I was first, when I first started growing cannabis, I noticed that um, a lot of people would tell me, "Oh man, the short plants are going to be your females, and the tall plants are going to be your males." Um, I quickly learned that that doesn't always hold true. Uh, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But I think it's more luck of the draw. You can get some really nice-looking short squat males that are actually really desirable for a lot of different breeding, just depending on what you're going for. Um, but you know, first things when I'm looking for males and females, I know I look for structure. Where are we at? Are we short or are we tall? Again, I don't use that to judge, but it's the first thing I look for. Um, and then as they start to grow, um, about four to six weeks or so, usually for me when I put them into uh, 18 to 6 light cycle, because I start with 12 or 24 hours light in germination just to get everything kicked off well. And once I got a little established plant, I'll kick them back to 18 and 6. And what that does is it gives them sleepy time, and the roots grow a lot when they're sleeping, and the more roots, the more fruits. So, and the males, what they'll do is they'll grow these little pollen ball sacs um, out of the, the, the meristems of the plant. So right where you got a, uh, a, 
a lateral branch that comes off right in the middle, you'll have either uh, a little round ball sack or you'll have um, a little cone-shaped growth with a pistol coming out of it. The pistols don't always happen right away, but it'll definitely be cone-shaped or ball-shaped. And the balls are the males and the cone-shaped are the females. And as it grows and, in, in, um, you know, grows deeper into veg, they'll become more apparent everywhere. You know, you'll notice them here and there at the beginning, but as, like I'm saying, week, week six to eight, they're going to become, they're going to start to pop up everywhere. And then you really start to see, oh, there's my males, there's my females. But after you do it more and more, you can, you can really um, identify them pretty early on. I can, usually about four weeks is when I can start, you know, pulling out males or females. And then you also have a, a, a window of a few weeks before those, you know, when you start flowering, before those male pollen sacs will open and actually sure. pollinate the room. Uh, but you certainly don't want to allow any males to get to the point where they open up the pollen sacs because you'll seed your whole crop. That's um, right. And, you know, that basically just puts all the energy of the plant into producing seeds instead of to producing flowers. Um, and, you know, those seeds, you know, 99 times out of 100 are going to be pretty worthless anyway. You know, your males is... What I look for is when I'm looking for males, I got all my males, I've, I've identified everyone. Okay, I got my males and my females. When I'm selecting a male, again, this could be slightly different depending on what I'm going for, but early flowering males, they're all going to start throwing balls in veg. That's not a problem. But what happens is, is those green balls will start to drop and they'll start to open and turn yellow. And then you'll see the pollen You'll see it kind of dusting on other leaves and, you know, kind of going all over the place. And that, unless you want it to happen, is not the very, you know, highly sought-after trait. If it's opening early on like that, it's not a male worth breeding. In a perfect world, I like my males to start opening at about two weeks into flower. About 14, day 14 to 21, they've clustered up. They're starting to grow big conical stacks or maybe, you know, slightly different depending on the strain. Um, but once I'm about two weeks in and... All my females in the room got nice cotton balls everywhere, you know, fingers of cotton. That's when you want that male to start opening those pollen sacs. Because if it opens too early, you won't get the desired seed production that you're looking for. Right. And that's if you're breeding for seeds. Sure. If you're, if you're growing for seed production. Um, but most people who are growing for, the, for their own purposes, they don't want to have the males there or that's any right. pollen um, because you want no seeds at all in your flowers. Um, I want to talk about one of my pet peeves in the, uh, or pot peeves, I guess, in the, in the industry. I knew we were going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, it's something I think, honestly, like 99% of the flowers that I smoke typically or see are overfed. And even in high times, you'll see, you know, burnt tips on the leaves. And, and you know, if, there's, if the tips of the leaves are burnt, you know the plant's been overfed for a while. And you can flush for two weeks and not flush out something that you've been pumping into a plant for 10 weeks. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, because once the plant's at a certain height um, and, you know, it starts to maybe go a little lighter color, you know, you know it's going to need some food. Sure. Um, what are some, you know, proper strategies for plant feeding? Well, usually when you're going for, like you're saying, burnt, burnt tips are going to be your first sign that the plant has plenty of food. Um, we always used to use that as a precursor when, you know, when I was new and starting this and, and hell even today I, I use it as a precursor if something gets a little bit if you've got if week two and flower comes along and everything's going along good and all of a sudden boom you see some some slight tip burn that means you're pumping it too too hard and it means to back up so if you catch it early and you know what's going on you can end up with a great product in the end but like Danny's saying if you're just 
tip burning and, and eventually those tips turn into a quarter inch, you know, half inch, and the end of your leaves are, are burned, then yeah, it's tough to get all that, that stuff out of the plant. What I'll do is, here comes, you know, week seven, week eight, and this is if, a, if I'm flowering, you know, nine or ten weeks or so. Week seven, week eight come along. Usually day 50 is my key or my, uh, my marker point. And day 50 comes along and then I just, I switch to um, just straight water. And some, there are flushing agents out there that can help you in this process, uh, but I find that nothing really works as, as good as straight water does because we're not really trying to flush things out of the soil at that point. If you fed it properly without dumping just tons of salt or nutrients in it the whole time, the idea is to the more water you add, the more the plant's going to use up what's in the soil. And if we're using up what's in the soil, then the less nutrients there left over we have. So the more water you have, the more water goes through that. Those leaves will actually begin to change from their green or dark colors to shades of purple and reds and autumn colors, and eventually they will go yellow. And yellow is different than burn tips. Yellow is, is the sign that when your whole leaf fades out yellow or light purple or whatever color that that strain fades, then you know you've gotten a good flush, a good fade, and your cannabis is probably uh, at its best point uh, to harvest. Yeah, absolutely. Those fall colors are a, a great indicator. Um, also, people should understand that the nutrient companies want you to use as much nutrient oh, yeah, as possible pump. so that you'll get through <laughs> the bottle and buy another one. Um, so, you know, start at half strength and, sure. and bump it up for watering as well. I mean, you, the plant wants to have a wet, dry cycle, so... Um, you, you know, you can't just keep watering a plant nonstop. Um, it's got to go kind of back and forth through the wet For and dry. Sure. Um, depending. I mean, with hydroponics, you keep it wet, but that's because it's getting more oxygen to the roots. Um, but in any kind of soil or cocoa or any of that, you want that wet, dry cycle. So I always recommend people to lift their containers and get an idea of what it feels like when there's no water in there and what it feels like when it's, you know, good and saturated. And that's a great indicator for you to know, okay, it's feeling light, it's ready for some water, you know, and then you give it. Um, now, we talked a little bit about the flushing process, so let's get into harvesting. Um, what, uh, well, let's talk about when to harvest, and then maybe a little bit about how to harvest. Sure. Um, again, strain dependent, but if you're going for, uh, again, if you're going for indica or sativa, um, there, there's different kind of outliers on what you're looking for. But just the basic, the basic idea is when you're harvesting, um, what you're looking for is those trichome heads. You're looking for those trichome heads. They, have, they start clear. And uh, when we're growing and pushing these plants through flower, they're, they're clear trichome heads. Um, but as they mature into the later stages of flower, those trichome heads go from clear to milky and then to amber. And it just depends on what you're going for in that flower or specific strain. Obviously, we don't want tons of clear in there because it's just not mature. Um, but some strains do like to be harvested best when it's um, milky to amber. I wouldn't say uh, go completely full amber because there is ripening that, that occurs on the actual stalk when it's drying. So if you harvest a plant with 50% amber and 50% milky, let's say, let's pretend that there was no clear, but there's always going to be some. Let's say it's 50 and 50. Well, by the time you're actually trimming that product and putting it in a jar to cure even longer, you can, you can be as far as 75% amber and 25% milky. So more amber happens as the plant starts to dry and ripen. So It's like how when you take a steak off the grill, it yeah. keeps cooking. Um, the plant <laughs> keeps, you know, basically, you know, as it's drying, it keeps maturing as sure. well. 
Um, and do you recommend people hang dry uh, their plants? We hang it for 10 to 14. We're nice. Uh, the, the, the flower breaks off from the stem. Not Mojave Desert style, but it gives you a nice little crack when you, when you break it from the stem. Um, but it's still somewhat tacky and moist. I mean, we want that sticky stuff, so we you know, want to keep it nice and sticky and moist. And remember, it's going to fill. It's going to re re-moisturize when we put it in a jar or a bag or, or whatever you know our method of storage is going to be so we don't want it too dry but we definitely want it to be dry enough so that way it's not going to you know mold on us when we're putting it in bags so um, I prefer a dry trim and I think that uh, most of my colleagues out there would probably say the same thing because I see a lot of nightmares that happen with the wet trim process <laughs> yeah it, it basically you got to think about like you know you're you're basically cutting it and exposing all of this, you know, you're allowing a lot of moisture to get out very quickly, and the whole drying and curing process should be a slower process. Sure. So over the years, I've definitely come come around as well to, you know, hang dry plants, leaves and all. You know, you can take the fan leaves sure, off, sure. Um, but, you know, leave on everything else. And then once you're ready, once the drying process is over and you're ready to start the curing process, put those buds you know, trim them off of those branches, trim that leaf off there, sure. dry, and then put them into the jars, sealed glass jars for curing. Yeah, and a lot of times when you quick, quick dry too, um, a couple things happen. You either get some harsh tasting flowers, you know, you'll, it can look amazing, it can smell amazing, but when you go and, you know, fire it up, it will be harsh on the throat. Or um, you can get the tickle in the back of your throat. It's one of two things. We call it the tickle boy. <laughs> the tickle boy or just a, a harsh smoke. And usually, nine times out of ten, it's because that flower was dried too fast, too soon, and doesn't have much of a cure on it at all. Right. Okay. Well, so we're through the curing process. Let's talk just briefly because you had mentioned that, um, you know, you've also um, collaborated on some awards for solventless hash. Yes. Um, with Cuban Grower and... and uh, um, actually, who will be on a panel a little later today. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, what, uh, what, what's, uh, how much of that process uh, can you talk about as far as um, where they go from the flour to a solventless product that can win a cannabis cup? Sure. Um, you know, there was a... Me and Cuban did a lot of R&D and trying to figure out which strains were really the best for making hash and which were the best for making rosin. And... What we noticed is some strains just produce different, uh, not only terp profiles, which we're all, you know, out there fighting to, to get right now, but they create different resin profiles of cookies. A very, you know, frosty strain, um, but the, when you actually breaks down to the heads of the, the trikes, they're very large. There's no stock to the head. That's why when you, ha when you make hash with it, it's very volatile. Or even BHO, that's why you always get, from Girl Scout cookies, it's always very sappy. You never really get any, you know, back in the day when Shatter was hot, you get, there was never any snap to the, or, or hard crisp uh, Girl Scout cookie Shatter. That's because those heads were so big and volatile. And what happens is, is the, the walls break and pretty much they, they burst. So what we did notice is um, the Starfighter, for example, which I used to make the cookies and cream, it has tons of stalks and not the biggest heads. So the heads were really small, but the stalks were huge. So the cookies and cream was the best of both worlds. It gave you big, large heads from the cookies, 
but it also allowed them to break off from the stock without being ruptured when you would make hash. So that's why we, we won so many awards with that specific strain and variants of it, you know, cookies and cream crossed or whatever it may have been. But um, lots of different awards came from cookies and cream and the way that, you know, the, the, the profile of the resin um, transferred. I mean, it was huge. So it just goes to show you, like, not all resin is created the same in how it processes, especially in for hash. Yeah, this is a very important thing, too, that people, uh, um, I'm coming to understand as well, as cultivation changes, you're no longer growing for a 45-day strain and, and all that stuff that, you know, it was in my mind from, you know, the 80s and the 90s, it was all about just pumping out, you know, bag appeal. Uh, but now you're growing for essential oil production. You're growing for surface area. So it, it's okay if it's a little bit wispier, as long as there is that essential oil in those glandular trichomes and as long as it has the terpene profile that you're interested in and the flavonoids and the cannabinoids, you know, all of that combined together makes for all these different unique uh, flavors and, and, yeah. and profiles. And that's what makes this wonderful flower so different and interesting is the way that those different oils interact with each other. Uh, and I think more so than the whole indica and sativa and hybrid and all of that. If you read uh, Rob Connell Clark's most recent book uh, about cannabis ethnobotany, you'll see that it's kind of, you know, and he's one of the people who came up with this whole indica sativa hybrid thing, but he's saying that, you know, that's kind of a gross oversimplification of what we're actually dealing with, which is a very diverse... Uh, plant with hundreds of these essential oils and and the ways in which they interact with each other there's so much more variation and differences there and we're we're really starting to find all of that all of that out because there's so much more diversity and by diversity i mean you know adding to the gene pool not just muddying the gene pool by crossing everything with everything but actually you know thoughtful breeding and i think that's something uh, obviously that you're involved in uh, I think we have some time for some questions. Do we have time for a couple questions uh, here? Yeah, we can do just a couple questions. Does anyone in the audience have anything they'd like to ask? All right, we got a question right here. Hey, how's it going? Hey, the the cube is it? Do they do the plants usually come out a pretty good representation of the starfighter? They do, yeah, because that was the idea of the cube, which is even the reason I called it that. It was it was a starfighter IX3, um, and I, I incrossed it three times and. Every time I crossed it back to the mother, which is the representation I was trying to mimic it from. So the goal was is that about 80% of them or so, a little bit more, but about 80% come out looking just like mom. And when you do something, when you cross something three times, you know, you call it cubing it. So I just, just called it the cube. So that was kind of my reason behind that. All right. Another question over here. Yeah. Um, when searching, like picking your mail, you look at if it really stacks up, you like that? Because does that translate into the yield of the progeny? Absolutely. It definitely does. Now, sometimes you're just not going to get that with depending on the strain. If you're trying to take an OG and cross that as your male to infuse that OG into, you know, whatever you're, you're going to put that in. Not a lot of OG varieties out there grow these just fat, conical, you know, gnarly uh, towers. But I don't know if anybody's seen my Instagram when I posted the cookies and cream males. But those, um, those males, man, they're stacking harder than I've ever, ever seen cookies and cream stack. And they're just frosty as can be as males, too. So um, I was really happy to see that. And that's my F2 selection to make the F3s with it. So um, I'm really excited to see where that goes just because of the stack, like you're saying. I mean, there's no secret. When it stacks like that, it translates. 
And not only does it translate, but whatever you're crossing it to already has. I mean, there's, if it's in there to get to make seeds, it's already awesome. So um, the, you're not starting with junk to, to make something awesome. So, I mean, if you've got awesome things and you have a mail that, that you believe is you know, going to be awesome, um, that's where the magic happens, so, or at least new magic. All right, very good. And we have time for one more question back here. Okay, I have um, some plants, and they started flowering early. How do I reverse that? Um, they start flowering early. Like, give me a quick, what do you mean by flowering early? Like this week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, like outside naturally in the sun? Yeah, outside, yeah. So I, I moved them into brighter sun. and I Yes, yeah, longer, fo- longer photo period. If you can keep them on more, more light, more hours of the day that's being lit, um, that will kind of bring it out of it. But if you're trying to go another week or two, I'm not sure. If you're trying to go a couple months, then, yeah, definitely give them more light. But if you're just trying to go another week or two, it's going to be tough because they might revert and get funny and start to do some weird stuff on you. So. Yeah, that's one thing about cannabis, too, is is it's sensitive. It needs a recovery time. So anytime you do something to shock the plant, even, even a simple thing like transplanting, you transplant a plant from one container into another, it's going to take a few days to a week for that plant to sort of recover from the shock of that transplantation. And you could be quite gentle with it, but it still has to, like, figure out over time, like, hey, there's new soil here. I, I'm not root-bound anymore. I can extend, or whatever it might be, with it, whether it be a light uh, issue or anything. Sure. The plant really has to ha- takes time to recover, and you should factor that into the flowering time. The seed breeders put 60 days on the pack, but that's not factoring in a week or two that you have where the plant's got to recover from some kind of shock. The biggest shock I see out there, just briefly, is... Lumen shock. When you go from veg T5s to HID flowering lights, oh, my God, they, they hate you for a <laughs> week or two. But if you try to pump them during that week or two, it can lead to really problematic issues in flowers. All right. Well, I think we got to leave it there. But thank you all for coming to this live recording of Free Weed. Uh, Mike, tell everybody where uh, they could find you online. You guys can check out my website, exoticgenetics.com. Uh, if you're looking to get seeds and you're not here at the event, uh, check out seedsherenow.com. They carry all of our gear. So. And, also just and you're really on quick. Instagram. And- Instagram, Exotic Genetics Mike. Yeah, that's, that's where I try to keep everyone up to date as much as possible. All right. So there you have the, uh, the chat that we had with Mike from Exotic Genetics. So thank you to uh, Mike. And be sure to check out Exotic Genetics Strains. Yeah, he actually he did a pretty interesting thing. He we, we weren't getting uh, massive crowds in that podcast room for whatever reason. Like maybe it was a little tucked away. People wanted to be out in the sun smoking, but he did a little seed giveaway, which built a nice little audience for us. That's right. The first hundred people to attend uh, received a free pack of seeds. So uh, hopefully, you know, they'll be growing those out, and maybe next year they'll they'll roll through with a, a couple of grams of what they grew out of those seeds that they got at the at the panel. Definitely. So thank you, Mike. And um, that you, you we're running a little long, so that's going to have to serve as the bulk of our cultivation section. But we still want to encourage these grow questions to come in. So we're going to do a couple of those, both from Chad, not the Chad at the beginning who left that basket weaving um, voicemail, different Chad. I guess 100% of our listeners are named Chad. <laughs> but uh, Chad writes, uh, will you guys do more cultivation stuff? I know you do a lot already, but I'm a fiend for the soil food web. Any new info, recent articles, debate would be great. Wow. 
um, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to do cultivation stuff um, for as long as we do the show, which hopefully will be a very long time. Was this a dig at our sports on drugs stuff? <laughs> Maybe they're bored with the sports. But uh, <laughs> as far as Soil Food Web goes, I mean, I'm a big proponent. Obviously, uh, you guys have heard me talk about teaming with microbes and, and, and all of the wonderful things that you can do with the living soil. I think it's really one of the ways that we can compete with, the, you know, corporate marijuana as well is, is by... Um, you know, improving our soil year after year, growing, you know, in greenhouses and outdoors and and just adding organic material, letting the, the worms do the work and, and having all the beneficial bacteria and microbes and, and mycelial activity and all of that going on in our soil um, so that you, you know, you just have to feed less to your plants. I mean, this is how the forest naturally works. The leaves fall and die and the, the animals die and and slowly decay and, and feed the trees and and there's no nobody shows up in the forest and, and pours nutrients into those plants they're just getting those nutrients back from uh from themselves and from other living material that then dies and, and creates new soil so that's really what you want to do is just keep building new soil on top of uh you know just add organic material you don't have to dig no tilling no uh no work, really. I mean, well, his his follow up question also delves into this, so let's just get to that. And I think you can continue in that vein. Uh, Chad writes, uh, "Can you explain in detail the effects synthetic nutrients have on organic soil? Uh, which things might be bad for it, and why they're bad for it? From my understanding, they aren't that bad, but more or less take jobs away from some of the organisms in the soil food web. And I know you can." Uh, uh, do things organically and take care of salt buildups, uh, such as enzymes. He also says, you're the man, Danny. Thanks for all you do. So, uh, <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you, um, for the compliments and the kind words, but, um, yeah, I definitely think that, uh, synthetic nutrients are bad for organic soil. I mean, obviously you can't call that soil organic, uh, once you've added synthetic nutrients, uh, and most synthetic nutrients are, are, are very concentrated salts, uh, and, and, you know, these things that are derived in a lab to only provide whatever it is that the plant needs. So it's nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, but all, you know, isolated and added into, you know, a, a slurry um, that is a salt that actually, when added to a living soil, kills that soil. So any beneficial bacteria, any microbes, any mycelial activity, any worms, any of those, you know, little bugs that crawl around and break everything down, um, any, all of that is killed. And so basically, even if you have soil, um, or a soilless mix and you're using synthetic nutrients, you, you're basically growing hydroponically because your soil is dead. It's an inert medium. That's just holding your roots. All the food that the, those roots are getting are coming from the synthetic nutrients that you're adding from a bottle from a lab. Um, and then, you know, never mind all the runoff that you have to think about of, you know, going into the water supply and all that other stuff. I mean, obviously if it's just a little grow tent, no big deal. But once you start, you're talking about a, you know, 20 or 30,000 square foot facility and you're talking about a lot of runoff and you're talking about a lot of waste. Um, so yeah, I mean, the soil food web is very important and the way to keep that soil food web living and alive and working properly is not to add a bunch of toxic salts to that medium. Um, but you know, that having been said, if you are growing in rock wool or you're growing in cocoa and you know, you don't want to grow organically for a number of different reasons. I mean, obviously 
um, organics is you know more likely to have pests because of the fact that there's a living soil and and all of that even though hopefully that's you know the pest management is working for you and on all levels but um, again there's different reasons why people may may or may not want to use organics and you know valid reasons too if you're growing in a huge warehouse with rock wool um, you're not you're not going to feed that rock wool or organic nutrients you're going to put um, you know GH or, or advanced you know three parts into your reservoir and you're going to have that dripping into your systems and you're going to recirculate that so hopefully you know there's not as much waste as, as you would have with a non-recirculating drained to waste type system but at the same time um, like I said there's reasons for that and you want to just no matter what nutrient you use go, you know tread lightly and flush heavily all right so thank you Chad and thank you Chad and um, remember, this program is open to people uh, not named Chad. So send us your questions, uh, freeweed at hightimes.com. You could also send questions uh, by Twitter, at Danny Danko. Use the hashtag freeweedpodcast, and uh, we'll look for your questions there. We also we have a Facebook page, too, for the show. Um, and we're going to be utilizing that much more now that we're back on the air. Um, so if you'd prefer, you can do you know leave questions messages there as well and questions yeah there's so many ways to do it you can even call us uh 212-387-0500 extension 706 uh we're gonna take a little break but when we come back we're gonna wrap it up all right welcome back and here we are with the wrap where we wrap it up with raw we do indeed that's right, and uh, I'd like to thank again Jacques and Winstrong for the song at the, at the at the head and the the foot of the show, and uh, <laughs> and and peppered throughout as well. That's right, and uh, Cadillac Mike, of course, Mike from Exotic Genetics with the uh, the great panel, and of course uh, Chad and Chad, who, who <laughs> all the Chads, thank you, Chad, wrote in and called in, and you guys for you know checking out our iTunes, checking out our our SoundCloud and, and our, you know what? We're on YouTube as well now. So if you search for Freeweed uh, or High I Times. I didn't even or, know that, are we? Yeah, we are on YouTube. Our new oh. PIPA, uh, which is where we uh, feed our RSS feed from, they are integrated with YouTube, uh, with SoundCloud, with all of those things. So hmm. uh, you can actually listen to the show on your smart TV, on your YouTube. Uh, so... You know, if you prefer to check us out that way, that's awesome. If you do check us out that way, you know, subscribe to the Danny Danko YouTube, um, follow us, uh, comment, you know, all that stuff. If you're on iTunes, please, please, please comment and rate us. If you comment uh, and rate us and you mention your Instagram handle in your comment, I will follow you. So uh, please check us out on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on Pippa, everywhere where you can listen to podcasts. All right. Danny will follow you. That sounds a little uh, intimidating. I don't know. <laughs> I'll follow you on Instagram. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> I won't stalk you and follow you home. Nice. That was episode 92. Yes, episode 92. Put it in the books, and we'll be back next week with more.